Welcome to Shuffle Buddies. My name is Chris. And my name is Ryan. And that is a different and... Uh, <laughs> not to be confused with the other co-host. Not to be confused with Casey. So Ryan, I feel like you are a third member of the Shuffle Buddies podcast because you've, oh, been, here. <laughs> you've been here since the beginning. We started this podcast in quarantine and you are, of course, the famous... Uh, I feel like every game I ever talk about, I always say... And then Ryan and I did this or something like that because you lived with me for a while while you were figuring out what you're going to do next um, during quarantine. And uh, you played a lot of games with me. I think we played more games. I think we played more individual games together in a year than I probably have played with any other person individually in like one year. I would say I've played more games in this last year than I have my entire life. Easily within Whoa. probably that first month of living with you, honestly, <laughs> I was definitely like a newbie. And now I feel like I'm somewhere on the lower mid tier of uh, board game players. I would say you're above that. I think you're almost, I mean, you're not a grizzled veteran, but the games you have played, I think are more deep cuts, more complex than like, I would guess like 80% of people who play board games. Well, I think uh, a lot of me being able to pick it up was because of your uh, teaching, which makes it quite easy to grasp. Because there's a lot of complex uh, game mechanics to a lot of these things. Yeah. And I think at first it was it was like an hour of going over the rules. And I was like, I'm not going to understand what the hell is going on. <laughs> but then we'd play it. It feels like you have to play it like once all the way through just to kind of get a grasp of it. And yeah. then the second time you're like, oh, OK, let's play it for real. And then we did that like two out of three and then it felt like we're really kind of like tearing apart the strategies to see how you can optimize and play the game better. Yeah. And that was your MO. We would play it three times. And then after three times, you'd just be like, whatever, I'm done. Because we have this whole library around you that you were like, I just want to try as many of these as possible. And I'm not sure what gave you that uh, spark, but that is just what was decided at some point. And then that's what we did for the rest of the year. <laughs> it just, yeah, it felt like you have all these games and it was like, just kind of a waste. Cause it was like, Oh, we could play this game. We could play this game maybe like five or six more times, but it felt like, why not just do the variety of them all and just see which ones. Cause that like, they're all new to me. Like I've never really played any of these other than, I mean, my background in board games was monopoly and sorry. And the basics and stuff like that. And maybe and a I lot played. of Zombicide. You used to play Zombicide all the time with your brothers. That's true. I guess there was some miniature stuff like that, but that was pretty much the extent of it. So these have been really interesting. These sort of like, I didn't even know that there was such a, these different genres existed from like the engine building ones to, I don't even know how to, how you would summarize them. Well, we'll try and summarize some of them <laughs> today. Um, and I also think it's really funny because you also, we had been playing board games we were looking back at the calendar. We've been playing board games for a couple months until we played one of the board games where it finally like clicked with you. And you were like, now I like board games instead of being like, I am tolerating this and doing it day after day. <laughs> I get the feeling you were just kind of like tolerating. You're like, I'll just, I have nothing else to do because it's a pandemic and I'm stuck in this house. So we might as well play all these games. But I don't remember which was the first one that made it click, but there was one that all of a sudden a light turned on where you were like, now I'm more interested in actual strategies and the mechanisms behind the games and stuff like that. Yeah. I think, I think undaunted for me really was like, I just remember cause it was like, we were on the last couple of turns and it was just all down to dice rolls and it was so close. And I just remember being so stressed out, but having so much fun at the same time. And I was <laughs> like, wow, this is, I was like, I'm getting like a rush from playing this game. And I didn't think that was possible. And after we were done and I was like, it was like a big exhale, like a lot of stress was a relief that I was like, 
oh, that's actually a lot of fun and satisfying. <laughs> so yeah. after that, I was like, let's play a bunch of these. I think we talked about that on the podcast, probably in one of the first episodes. And Undaunted is like a World War II battling game, except for you're also building a deck that you're kind of using this deck to manipulate pieces on the board. So it's kind of a deck building war game, which is just a really interesting and different take on it. It's one of my I'm going to say it's one of my favorite games. I have lots of favorite games on any any given day. I probably have like a hundred different favorite games, but it's one of my favorite games. And so I think that probably was one of the times where somebody else was really, really into it. So that was a intense and memorable battle for me too, because I was like, this is great. I actually just bought Undaunted North Africa. And then I also bought Undaunted Reinforcements. And so now I have a lot of Undaunted. That's a lot of Undaunted. It is. And now you're going to leave and I don't have anyone to play it with anymore. (laughs) But the nice thing is Undaunted Reinforcements, and this is why I bought everything, Undaunted Reinforcements adds a solo mode, which I'm sure won't be the same, but it makes it playable. And I'm like, well, heck, if I'm going to get the solo mode, I might as well get everything because it's compatible with everything that's been released for Undaunted up to this point. So I'll continue to play it. And then maybe when you visit, we can break it out and then i'll be really well practiced and you'll be <laughs> i'll be a new bell over again <laughs> yeah. it'll be great i think for for me like all the games we played in the last year and there's been a lot of really fun ones i think that one still stands out to me as that moment that i was like oh man this this really makes it for me so out of all of them i think that was still like my favorite experience of all the ones we played i don't know if it's necessarily my favorite game of all of them but it, like that experience and that one two out of three that we did yeah And that night, I remember you finished and you're like, that was the most stressful thing I've ever done. And then you just went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was a great break from, I remember like work was incredibly stressful at that time too. Yeah. And it was, board games provided that escape because it was just like, I don't really feel like watching anything on TV. I'm kind of burnt out on movies and TV shows and, and there wasn't really any good video games to play at the time. And then of course, just there was no social interaction. The three of us were, um, Bubble buddies? Bubble buddies. Yeah, there you go. That's one way to put it. And so so I was like, you guys were into it. So I was like, I, I should just try this. And, and I think the thing that I really take away from the whole experience was just that it was like, oh, man, I have like another hobby now, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. great. So Undaunted Normandy was one of your first. But thinking back, we probably have played, I don't, I don't have any numbers or anything, but um, dozens and dozens of games, I'm guessing. You mean individual games or just games? Different games, yeah. unique games. I mean, a year is a long time, but then doing two out of three kind of extends each one quite yeah. a bit too. Yeah. Yeah. Can you name some of your other like most memorable games? Like, what are what are some out of all the games we played that stick out highest in your mind? I think I think right around that time. I think either shortly after or shortly before that, we played Res Arcana, and I think mm-hmm. that one is a much simpler game than Undaunted, and I think that one helped at least start me to understand a little bit how to play those engine building type games Mm -hmm. i think it was still like months later that till i finally understood it but i think that one stood out a little bit and then just to catch people up i'm going to explain a little bit res arcana is kind of an engine building game about dueling mages and we talked about it on i think maybe this second or third episode of shuffle buddies yeah and that is a game that has gotten a lot of traction you and i played it several times and you actually really liked it and you ended up buying it as gifts I actually just gave it to a friend over Christmas. I've given it to a work friend because they were in the Magic the Gathering. So um, I kind of bought Res Arcana because I had heard it was pretty good, but it kind of seemed bland or generic. And I feel like I've gotten more mileage out of that game than a whole lot of games. So Yeah, I feel like it's an easy one to pick up. And yeah, I bought it for one of my nephews for Christmas and every holiday as a family will we'll play 
at least three or four rounds of it. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, some other games that I think really stuck out for me, though, is probably, I think recently we played Civilization based on the, the video game. Yeah. And that one, that one I also bought for one of my nephews with the expansion. Well, I want to come back to that one. I just want to hear a few more, but there are a couple that I want to like dive a little bit deeper on. So Civilization, we don't talk about it a lot. It's based on the Siv Meyers Civilization video games, even though it's its wholly unique board game but it is based it's actually called sid meyer's civilization a new dawn is its full title epic what an epic title i don't think he had, well he might have had something to do with the board game i guess <laughs> i shouldn't say that he's a pretty smart guy another one we played a little bit and i think we played it probably before i moved in with you it was claustrophobia and that one was like dungeons and dragons ish with miniatures it's one versus one someone plays the monsters someone plays the humans i thought that one was pretty fun yeah, and Claustrophobia is a game that we did play a lot. I'm really happy to get it to the table. It's a very specific game because you need two players. And it's pretty involved because it's so wildly asymmetric from the demon player to the crusader player. It's kind of this theme of like crusaders, holy crusaders, and, and prisoners of this holy crusade going into hell and actually fighting the demons of hell. And so it's wildly asymmetric where... The demon player is rolling dice and, and it's kind of this like dice placement um, little puzzle they have to actually activate the units. And then the the crusaders are more of just like a straight up, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons style. Like I'm going in, I'm, I'm making regular attacks, I'm moving a normal way. And it's a huge production with tons and tons of miniatures, which I think probably actually got in the way of us playing it a little bit because it was just like, are we really going to haul that box out and like those tiles are like, I don't know, eight by eight or something. It was and it's definitely just like, a big game. The, there was a lot of pieces. There are a lot of big pieces <laughs> that needed a very big table to play it. There were, I think it's a great game, but it is a little bit too big for its britches, I think. But yeah, that was a great one. Yeah. Those are pretty fun. I, th I think I like some of the story to it too. And then I think just the action and the pacing of it, it felt like very kind of one-sided. Like it was a lot easier being the demons and the humans. But then I think I wasn't really comprehending a lot of the strategy points to it either. Yeah, that might have been the case because didn't we swap sides and then I just mm. like showed you how it was done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how it went. <laughs> I think it was also mission yeah, dependent. Some, some missions it was easier to be demons and some yep. missions it was easier to be crusaders. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think that one. And then I think there was a couple that we played right around each other, uh, Terraforming Mars and then Anachary, which in my mind are very similar types of games. I can definitely see that because the only way that I think they're super similar is that they're both sci-fi because Terraforming Mars is about literally terraforming Mars. And then Anachrony is about time traveling, post-apocalyptic scientists. But you are building a tableau of new abilities and things like that. That one is a little bit more where you're like moving out on the board and taking actions and your tableau is a little bit more limited. And, and Terraforming Mars is about building a massive tableau. And you are playing on the board a little bit, but it's like kind of an area control type thing on the board. With Terraforming Mars, I remember specifically trying different strategies with that one. And I think for me, like that was a moment where I really started to kind of understand more how that type of game works and how you're supposed to play it. Because I remember thinking the first time I would play it, I just was kind of like picking random stuff and just hoping just to see what happened. And that actually went much better than the second time. I was like, I'm going to hyper focus on this one track to try to beat this thing. And then it ended up being like, that was just not the way to play the game. And then mm -hmm. for me, that was like kind of like a light switch went off where I was like, oh, I start to see it now. Like you're better off in these games. Like you don't have to be so hyper-focused on one path unless you really know all these other ways that you win. So I wasn't paying attention to the strengths that were 
already existed with the the stats of what I already had building. And I remember being really invested in that game too, because I was really having fun with that one. And I remember being very disappointed <laughs> when you crushed me on the, the two out of three on that one. I uh, I did, and I do remember <laughs> you were pretty determined on that one to like really crack the nut. And and I think I don't think I'm that great. I'm not like a great terraforming Mars. I think in that game also the cards can fall a little bit in your favor and stuff. And I think I just got lucky. That's one way to put it. That's, Maybe. A, that's a generous way to put it. <laughs> I do uh, I do love Anachrony, though. That's actually one of my favorite games. I can't believe how much I have fallen in love with Anachrony, and we played it several times. It's a similar weight to Terraforming Mars, but something about how the mechanisms work and then the time travel and the theme. Um, that game also has a really big production. And since you've played it, I went and I actually bought all the miniatures which is something exactly the opposite of what I would normally do because usually I'm not a miniatures person, but I just wanted to like complete my anachrony collection. So now I have like a complete infinity box. That's like this big, massive version, which I kind of, as I was packing in there, I was like, I'm kind of dreading this because I feel like it's so big now I'll never take it out because it's just like, (laughs) like I, I'll show it to you later. It's so big that it's, did I show it to you? I think that's funny because I think I remember seeing it on your shelf for a long time and I was like, why don't we play this game? It looks I just like the box art. Mm-hmm. And you were like, I don't know. It's got a lot of pieces or it's got a lot of big figurines. And I think you were going to get rid of it. And I then, might have. And then we played it. And then it was like, we should play more of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anachrony is great. I love it. I think kind of winding down to a little more recently, there's all the PAX games. There was the Viking one and Premiere. And those, I think, really showed me like the depth of a lot of these games and like how just how complicated they can be, but how... Mm-hmm that makes it a lot more, I think, engaging, I think a little bit as well. Yeah, you are definitely the type of person who some people when complexity gets like layered in, they kind of like start to opt out or tap out. But I think you're the opposite where when you play something too simple, you're kind of just like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Like, even if it's like a fun game, if it's just a little bit too simple, you kind of check out a little bit, I think. So with those PAX games, you think about them a lot. Like you'll text me like later that night or the next day and be like, what do you think if I would have done this? Or what was the right play in this situation or whatever? So yeah, I think that's a little bit of the of the curse of these things, right? Because you, <laughs> you start to play, like it's so much easier to just pick up one of these games that take like 20 minutes mm-hmm. and just put them down. But then these other ones that, you know, sometimes a lot of these games have lasted like four hours especially like the first hours, usually like the teaching part. Mm-hmm. And then and then it's like, well, we might as well just, you want to play another one right away because you want to apply <laughs> what you just learned. So then, you know, pretty much you're committed at that point. And so I think at that point, I'm I'm so, like the simpler games just aren't as appealing anymore because it's, it's like to me, they're like lacking something, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like they you kind of want that extra level of, or layer to it that allows you to, to like really get ingrained to be like, how well can I really play this? Yeah, I don't think mine comes from like a point of mastery, but I do definitely feel similar to that. Like I love all games and I love light games and I love to have a collection that I can be like, hey, I can play this with my five-year-old niece or I can play this with my coworkers or anything like that. But when it comes to the games that I personally like hit my super pleasure center, it is like the PAX games or Anachrony or, you know, these deeper more complex games and sometimes it is complexity for the sake of complexity but i think sometimes that's okay because that's just what it takes to make it like a puzzle that's hard to keep the moving parts in your head where it's it's not like a solvable puzzle in some ways yeah because i think the most recent game out of all those that we played was probably civilization and i think the thing that really drew me to that one was 
there's the win conditions. There's so many ways to play it, right? Mm -hmm. You could be like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a big trader or I'm going to be into like fighting my neighbors or I'm going to do, there's like, there's a ton of options you can do each round, but only like maybe several of them are actually pushing you towards the end game. And I think it's also one of those games too, where it starts out very slowly and it feels like it's just kind of very slowly moving along. And then all of a sudden the end game happens very quickly where you're like, this is going to end in like two moves now. I wanted to talk about that one in a little bit more depth. Do you feel like jumping into that right now is cool? Uh, sure. We can come back to your list if you have any more you wanted to mention. But Civilization A New Dawn is designed by James Niffen and published by Fantasy Flight Games. And it is a civilization game like the super popular civilization series of video games where you are expanding your empire. And in Civilization, you start as these small civilizations on a map and you basically have no direction and you just grow your empire. You can fight, you can expand your culture, you can expand your uh, economic engine. And the one thing that I loved about civilization when I first played it was the focus row. And that is a row of five or six cards that all say the same thing. So all the players basically start with the same focus row where you can kind of do really simple actions. There's one for everything you can do. So you can move, you can battle, you can upgrade your technology. You know, you can kind of send out these caravans that become an economic engine. And so everyone's kind of on an even playing field with these cards and it's pretty basic and pretty simple. But as you advance your civilization and level up your technology, whenever you kind of hit a point on your technology track, you get to put a new card into your focus row of cards. And these cards that you add in start to shift the course of how your civilization is developing compared to everyone else's. So by the end of the game, everyone can have really different focus rows. And the actions they can do are still in the same vein of being attacking, being economic, being you know cultural progressions. But by the end of the game, you are wildly different. You know, you're able to do wildly different things. And the way it like layers in that during the course of a game really does feel like, I don't know, I don't really play the Civilization video games that much, but it does feel like my empire is totally different than yours. And we're making these um, diplomatic exchanges, but then at the same time, somebody could be antagonistic. And it just does really have that feeling of like, uh, a neighborhood, I guess, of being like, all right, I'm over here and I'm doing my thing and I know what Ryan's doing and I see what this person's doing. And you're kind of advancing along similar but different trajectories, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting all the different ways you can play it. And it, and with the focus row stuff, it, it's surprisingly simple too at the same time, which I think is part of the appeal of that game because mm-hmm. it is there's multiple layers to it, but then there, it's it's very easy to actually pick up as well because the actions are so simple to do. Yeah. It's all in the... I guess the decision making of like what type of civilization am I headed towards? And sometimes you think like, oh, I, I should just do what's the best benefit to me right now. But I think that's one I've still been trying to wrap my head around. But I think I've played it four or five times now. And uh it's it's been it's been really fun that one. And the focus row I should also mention, it helps you make decisions a little bit more because the genius of the focus row is you have this row that goes one to five or one to six if you're playing with the expansion. If you want to do an action you take it out of the focus row and let's say it's in the level five spot, you get to do the level five version of that action, which is a really simple change. Usually instead of putting, like if it's in the level five spot and you get to put down control tokens, you get to put down five instead of one. If it was in the level one, you put down one. If it's in level five, you can put down five. Or if you're sending an army across the map, they can only cross terrain that corresponds with what level they're in. So a level five 
army can go anywhere on the map, whereas a level one can only go through grasslands. And so you can't hammer one action and just be like, I'm going to do military, 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 because you're going to be doing the weakest version of that. You need to do other things while your military track is building up. Um, yeah, it's interesting how the game forces you to consider these other avenues, right? Mm-hmm. By like having that focus track. It makes your progression seem less one dimensional because you're not just like, I'm the military guy who's just going to hit military. It's like, well, I have to do some trading. So what am I going to do with that? You know, you don't specialize too much. You kind of make do and you, you there's always something you want to do, but you're like, if I just do these two things first, I'll be able to do this one even better. It's like a constant conveyor belt of delayed gratification. I played it a while ago, and I thought it was interesting because of that focus row. Since then, I bought the expansion. To, oh, this is a good one. Terra Incognita. It's, I know it's a mouthful. I, I... So I bought that expansion, and that one changes civilization in some very key ways, which were my main criticisms of the original one. And in the original one, the military was just very abstract. You kind of had like this sphere of influence around where you were, and you could kind of just launch an attack anywhere. And the expansion just adds military units. Um, It kind of actually limits what you can do, but you can also see an army marching across the map. And it's not just something that comes out as a surprise because you're like, oh yeah, I guess I am in your bubble of influence. Oh, so that, so like in the, in the, the non-expansion, basically when the military attacks just sort of comes out of nowhere. Yep. As long as it's within a certain range. And then, you know, so you, you put out those control tokens and then you can just basically launch an attack from within a certain distance. And your, oh, I see. your kind of military card dictates how far like you can extend out past your area of control or something like that. It's funny when you get into like the higher tiers of technology with those symbols focus cards too, or like the military suddenly you have like nuclear bombs. Another part of your focus role might still be in like ancient civilization era. I feel I feel like at the, every time I've played it too, I've never played 1v1 of that game. And I think it, it, it benefits with it at having at least three players. It's yeah. a little more fun that way rather than sort of the tit for tat kind of battle. Mm-hmm. But it seems like someone always pulls like the landscapes that has them cornered against an ocean and they're just sort of trapped. Like all their moves are trapped for the first half of the game until they like <laughs> level up that thing where they have a chance. Yep. And by that time, it's usually too late. So it's... It sort of feels like however you sort of set up that initial board sometimes where you're like, oh, this will keep me safe. It can kind of like work against you sometimes. Yeah, it. I, you definitely had a game. I mean, I had games where I was the one who was like trapped in a corner and you had a game like that. And you're like, this is so frustrating. But also part of that is also just like relevant to how cultures might develop where, you know, they're landlocked on a small island. So they just can't expand forever or, you know, all of these different things. So like sometimes it is about like the story that was just a really funny scenario where, you know, you were like stuck over there fighting off the barbarians. They all spawn on your side and they just were constantly like getting in your stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a good story. It was a good narrative story that just emerged out of the gameplay. Yeah. I think when I was playing it, uh, like a week ago with my nephews and brothers, uh, one of my brothers, he could literally only move three spaces because he had just kind of cornered himself so much. He was also stuck fighting barbarians, Mm -hmm. which those barbarians will get you. (laughs) All right. Well, that is Civilization A New Dawn, which I think is, uh, with the expansion, has become a new favorite of mine. Before the expansion, I thought it was an interesting novelty. And now I think it is like a serious game that I am just like looking for the next opportunity to pull it off the shelf. And speaking of pulling things off the shelf, one of the games that we recently played is a game that had been sitting on my shelf for a long time. I want to say since 2018, I think. 
I went back ago. and checked my I went back and checked my logged plays and I feel like it was at least 2018 possibly 2019 but it was a game I hadn't played in forever and I decided we should play it for some reason and that game is Scythe. I think we might have played that one a long time ago because I think the artwork in that is so cool. Yeah, and Scythe is published by Stonemeyer Games, designed by Jamie Stegmeyer, who's the owner of Stonemeyer Games. And the artwork specifically, interesting that you point out the artwork first. Not that interesting because it is really nice artwork, but the artwork is by this Polish artist, Jacob Rosalski. And he created these paintings of like this World War One era alternate history where there is giant walking mechs and this not quite steampunk, but like it's not as silly as steampunk. It's a, it's like a more realistic. I, I want to say realistic when I'm speaking about like 20 story tall mechs marching through fields, but it has this pastoral, but also science fiction look to it. A lot of that artwork you just sort of expect it to be like an oil painting of workers in a field Mm -hmm. and then it ends up being like well what's that there's this giant robotic leg mech in the background yeah and it creates sort of an eerie uneasy feeling with the artwork that you're like there's sort of like a tension there yeah the artwork has like a period feel to it yeah so it just feels really anachronistic going back to anachrony uh and so the designer jamie stegmeyer saw that artwork and just thought it was really cool and he's like i want to make a game that uses that artwork And so it wasn't like that the game was designed and then he hired this guy. He actually, this guy was making this artwork and he's just like, I'm going to put this in a game. It's like one of those interesting pieces of artwork where you look at it and you're like, it kind of creates a world and a story in your mind. Oh, it instantly does. Yeah. Yeah. So then he built this game and it was a big critical darling came out in 2016 and I got it and I really liked it. But then I hadn't played it in, like I said, two, two years, three years, maybe. Um, And I kind of felt like my gaming tastes had changed a lot where I am a little bit more into that like strategic Euro engine building, um, less confrontational wargaming type stuff, even though I do love war games. It's like, I love war games, but I don't love miniatures games. I like historical war games. So I was curious to get it back out with you. And I thought it would be a great chance before you leave to get that one off the shelf and play it. Because I was just like, I'm curious if I would still like this. And I was a little bit hesitant just because for some reason I just assumed I wouldn't. I took it off. Um, I opened it up. We set it out on your table. I hadn't like kind of refreshed myself on the rules, but I instantly remembered everything. I just recalled that I'd played it before. Yeah. You saw, you saw the artwork <laughs> and you're like, I feel like I played this before, but I think part of the reason Scythe is so playable is because it has this faction board similar to the focus row in civilization. And there's definitely a lot of similarities between the two. Yeah. And you have this player board where you can only choose like one of four actions and you can't choose the action you did previously. And so you're always just choosing like, which one of these three am I going to choose? And then secretly, Scythe is a strategy euro because it really is more about collecting resources, turning those resources into different types of upgrades or things that can make you points and figuring out how you're going to best like manage these resources on the board more than it is a combat game. In fact, I would say it's like, it's more of like a threat of combat game than it is a combat game. I think it's a good way to summarize it. I think when you look at the artwork, you're like, oh, this is going to be a cool mech fighting mech thing. And then when you start playing it, you're like, it has very little to do <laughs> with fighting at all. Yeah, which I think was refreshing because maybe I remembered it being more combat heavy or something like that. But I was 
really into hammering a really efficient series of actions to like get the game going as fast as possible. And I was, I was worried about what you were doing, but I wasn't looking to fight you. I kind of was like, I'm trying to do my own thing as best as I can. And hopefully Ryan's not going to come and mess with me. And there's a couple points of tension where you kind of have to fight normally over the factory space in the middle or just a few key strategic locations. But for the most part, I would say our games ended with only a couple fights maximum, maybe like three. Yeah, that sounds about right. I feel like especially the last time we played it where we were just trying to spread out and collect as much uh, landscape as you could with workers and building those uh, buildings you could create. Yeah, it's a really great dudes on the map area control game. But with all of this kind of growing your empire, gaining resources, all of these things, what I also noticed is you had said we had played it before. And I think you remembered it being just like, blah, this is too complicated and not being into it. And then this time, one of the first things that you said when we were done is you were like, this is way simpler than I even remember it being. And you had played through an entire game um, previously. So I think that was just like your experience over the last few years, shining, peeking through like a ray of light. Yeah, I think I think that thing you were saying that there's a lot of similarities between that game and Civilization, right? Where I think when you're building your stuff, you're really not so much worried about what the other person's doing. You're more focused on like what you're building, mm-hmm. and I think that plays a lot into that game as well, which pushes you away from doing as much combat. Yeah, and they also start you in like usually they start you in a little zone where you can't get off of this kind of small. I wouldn't call it an island, but kind of this small uh, peninsula where you're, you've got water on all sides and you can't break out and walk around the map until you at least build a certain level of technology. So it kind of keeps everyone doing their own thing. It keeps anyone from like running off immediately and just starting fights. And it, and it kind of encourages you to um, think about the other things you can do besides use your big mechs for cool fights. Yeah, I feel like that last game that you won, you were really confined to where you started in the entire game. Mm-hmm. Like you had all your stuff just jam packed in there. I and think it was mechs still were the last thing I built. Enough to it was still enough to like win it. Yep. One other game that I that you mentioned that I would love to talk about a little bit that is kind of the opposite, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. That is Pax Premier Second Edition, and I say it's the opposite because in that game you are kind of always looking at what your opponents are doing on the map. You're really just paying attention to what they're doing. You're you're never playing your own game in your tableau. You are really trying to manipulate the map and you know squash your enemy. I think that is a much more aggressive playstyle to that game versus. Yeah. Scythe. Yeah. And it's, I think it's one of the most interesting games in my collection. I, I really love Pax Premier and that's Pax Premier second edition, which is designed by Cole Worley and it's published by Worley Gig Games, which is a play on his name. Clever. And it's him and his brother and they're actually local. Did you know that? Did I tell you I that? did not know that. Yeah. Have you met them? I have. You maybe should have them on the show. If you're, <laughs> if you're listening, uh, this would be a great opportunity. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Um, but uh, Pax Pamir is about 19th century Afghan leaders who are working to forge a new state after the fall of the former Durrani Empire. And you play as Afghan tribes who are attempting to manipulate these foreign powers of Britain and Russia um, to kind of bend their might to their own purposes. Uh, so you mentioned Pax Pamir and Pax Viking, and they're both part of this kind of greater Pax series, although um, it's more like a loose collection of games that share the same ideas than it is a true series because it has different designers and different publishers. But there are a few things that are usually pretty similar between the games. One of those main ideas is this card market that kind of acts as a 
alternate history of all the major players and important events and places that were involved in this conflict in some fashion. And the card market, it usually has a row of five or six cards where you can take any of the cards available on the market. But if you want anything beyond the first card, you have to put a coin onto every card in that row up to the card that you take. Anyone who buys a later card is going to get that money. So you're making these earlier cards cheaper by taking the ones that are further down down the row, but by taking the one further down the row, you're getting to, you know, you're getting to that important person or event or action um, faster than anybody else. So that's a big part of it. And of course, since you're buying these cards, um, most PAX games also have a very important tableau aspect to the game where you're building this tableau of these characters, of these actions, and you're able to become stronger by what you do in your tableau. However, a really important part that's different than a lot of games is you can actually influence your opponent's tableaus by sending spies, or in other games, it's like members of the church over to these other cards, and you actually physically move pieces into the other player's tableau, which can prevent them from doing actions. It can kill their cards. It can. It's basically a second battlefield um, apart from the map that represents political influence instead of um, military on the map influence. And the final thing is a lot of PAX games really have interesting end games. There's also multiple ways to win and variable win conditions. Um, and sometimes just understanding how to win is kind of the hardest part of a PAX game. And actually, PAX Premier might be one of the most straightforward PAX games when it comes to win conditions, but it's still a little bit to wrap your head around. So in PAX Premier, one of the key concepts of the game is you don't own any of the troops or pieces deployed onto the map. They are actually belonging to the Afghan coalition, the British coalition, or the Russian coalition. And at any point in the game, you are basically, you're swearing allegiance. You're, you're becoming loyal to one of these coalitions. And during that time, you can move and add those pieces to the map. However, you can also just fairly easily switch to a different coalition. And now you're playing with a whole different set of pieces, maybe even attacking pieces you had played in an earlier turn. And the reason you do that is because what you're trying to do is curry the most favor with the dominant coalition, which can change during the game, basically the coalition with the most presence on the map. Every once in a while, a dominance card is going to come into that public market and anyone can buy it and it instantly performs a dominance check and whoever has the most loyalty with the dominant coalition is going to get points. There's an alternate win condition if there is no dominant coalition, but really you are trying to curry favor with who you think is going to be the dominant coalition when that dominance check comes on to the market. And that can lead to some pretty interesting situations where maybe everyone joins the same coalition and then they're just racing for favor with that coalition, which is exactly what Ryan decided he was going to try and do for the entire first game. It was a strategy that didn't pay off. <laughs> it wasn't a strategy, but it was because I think it's a hard game to understand. PAX games in general are hard to wrap your head around the first time you play them. In that game, we both decided to be loyal to the same coalition, but I had more favor with that coalition. And I was just kind of ahead on that. And you were fighting tooth and nail to get more favor with them, but it just wasn't happening because it was a kind of a tit for tat where every time you gained a little bit of favor, I would gain a little bit more. And in that game, I was trying to tell you, Ryan, you need to change to a different team. 
you will never win this way. And Ryan was like, I wasn't going to do it. You weren't going to do it. I thought that was your strategy. You were trying to psych me out. <laughs> and I, I was trying you. to tell you, and I never do that because I'm very... <laughs> no, I, it's true. You don't. I try to be very helpful, but I was like, you need to switch factions. But it's like just such a foreign concept of you're like, I have all of these cards in play of this faction. I have all this influence with this faction. I, you know, like, I don't want to throw that away. But in this game, it really is about playing the situation on the board and... I think we played for quite a long time, like way longer than that game normally would be played for, but it was a learning game. I had taught you the whole thing. Um, And then right in the final two or three turns, you finally were like, fine, I'm going to do it. You switched factions and all of a sudden you just made like all this progress and did all these things. Yeah. I remember thinking that I was like, you really can't do much in this game. And I was like, I am stuck here. I'm not getting any combos. And then the moment I switched, I was like, oh wait, I just did like five things. If I would have switched maybe a few rounds earlier, maybe mm-hmm. would have won. Well, and then we played several more times, and I think you did win. Yeah, I think that, that was a, all those PAX games have been pretty fun. I do like the layers, too, and the complexity. I think I do this in a lot of the games that we've played where I'll always mimic your first move mm-hmm. because I, I'm i just not understanding what's happening. So I think it's like it's a safe bet to just sort of go along the same vein. But that one, I was so confused. I kind of just followed it down that rabbit hole a little too far but that first play is admirable because these games are notoriously hard to learn for the first play what i found was interesting is after we did that first play you kind of said okay i understand all that but we have to play i think it really was your two out of three rule where you're like we have to play this again because those are the rules we have to do two out of three <laughs> uh or play especially with that because it was so complicated that i was like okay right, now that i figured out because i feel like a lot of times i don't really comprehend it until we get to the winning part mm-hmm. where it's like, here's how we add up the score now. And then it was sort of, and then sort of at that moment, it's like this aha moment where it's sort of all the whole past two or three hours we've been playing the game. Suddenly it's like, Oh, I see where, where I went wrong. Yeah. And then, uh, and then so when we played it again, it was like, now I have to apply this stuff that I just learned. Otherwise I'm going to totally forget it. And I think with that game, it's easy to see how to do the small actions where it's just like, I know how to buy a card from the market and I know how to place troops on the map, but seeing why is the really difficult part again, because the win conditions can be so fluctuating and different that it's not just like, I need 10 points to win or anything like that. You really need to like figure out how you're manipulating these coalitions against each other. Um, And it's a game I almost didn't teach you because I just thought maybe it was going to be a step too much. But then I was just like, whatever, you know, let's just try it. And then we were really into it and we played it we probably did that one more than our two out of three matches. I think so. I think because like the first couple of rounds we did, it, it was hard to get a grasp. But once we, once you understand it, it was, I think what, what makes it really interesting, there's sort of, because it's such an aggressive play style. So you're constantly playing against the other person and the AI. And there's sort of like a surprise thing that happens each time where you sort of don't see it coming. Or even though I'm like studying what you're doing and I'm trying to build my own thing, it can turn around to be like, I've been duped. <laughs> into what I thought you were going to do, you know, which is amazing, which is like basically what it's trying to simulate because it's trying to simulate these forces manipulating things behind the scene and, and currying favor and doing all these kind of like Game of Thrones esque. Uh, it actually was political called espionage. Yeah, political espionage. Exactly what it is. There are actually spies and, and all of these things. And there's a lot going on. I think that Pax it's a very pr- true to life game. I think it is very true to life. It it is a simulationist game. So I think, you know, the designer's intent was really to like simulate these elements of history in some way. And of course it's very gamey and very, it's still just actions you're taking in a board game. It's not, you know, you're not role playing or anything like that, but it is, 
it is trying to simulate that history. And I think that is why they can come off as really complex is because the adherence to the themes and the concepts of the game is more important than than how immediately playable it is. And PAX Premier Second Edition is one that I'm so glad we did play because I had also had a hard time understanding what I was supposed to be doing. And I had played against the solo AI, which is really good. It's really amazing, the Wakan. Um, and we actually incorporated it into our game. So it was like a three-player game using the Wakan um, after our first game. When we played together, that uh, like unlocked those games for me, where all of a sudden I was like, I totally see this game on a different level than I had seen it before. And it became a game where the complexity just like fell away. Like once you get over the initial hurdle, the complexity just fell away and you could really kind of like see the board and it just became this like really dynamic knife fight in a phone booth kind of situation. And I had wanted to love it because I had loved like the art design and and the way the game is presented because it's really a beautiful game. And I did kind of love it, but when we played it together and I really understood it, that's when it unlocked that game for me. And then Ever since then, I've gone on kind of like a PAX bend where I've been playing all the PAX games and I have been loving all of them. It's like one of those, like, where have you been all my life situations for me where I'm just like, I should have been playing this sooner. Um, I'm sad because you're like my one friend who plays PAX games at the moment. There's there's such a good time. I mean, the Viking, I think we started with the Viking one Mm -hmm. and that was a little simpler to understand. Yeah, that one is definitely simpler. And I think that was a good stepping stone to get to the premier one. Uh, all those, all those have been a ton of fun. And I think even beyond that was when we got to Cloudspire, yeah. which I think is an even more complicated game. It but probably like, is. <laughs> for, for me though, I think that, that, and I think we've only, we played that one maybe a couple months ago. And I think that the complexity of that one, uh, really, really weighs in and where you're like, oh man, there is so many things you can do right now. Mm-hmm. They're like complexity in the opposite directions though, a little bit. Cause Pax Premier feels like it's really complex. But it's a very small play space where you're only moving on a couple different pieces on a board and all of these things. Whereas Cloudspire is like, it's like, it feels like a computer game where it's just like, there's a whole bunch of options and dials and upgrades and, and pieces and units and all of these things. And they all have different stats and you can upgrade them. And, and it's like an amazing design that it's just like impossible for me to think how they organized all that information and I know, balanced I, all of that I, I and think, put it I think all for together. Me it's like, I can't, when people take these sort of uh, different genres, so like it's, it's based on like the MOBA video game, right? And mm-hmm. then so to like take that and put it in an entirely different medium with an execution that like makes sense and you sort of feel like you're like, wow, I, I do feel like I'm playing like League of Legends mm-hmm. and, but it's still like, it makes sense, the rules and the way it's laid out. I got to imagine the trial and error of trying to solve that must have taken a long time i'm sure it did but i think i think that publisher um chip theory games is kind of of the design approach where they're like we will make it work and we will put new components in the game or they'll kind of like change something about the game to and again they're they're not concerned with how easy is this going to be I mean, maybe they are concerned. I'm sure Cole Worley and the designers of Cloudspire are concerned about how easy it is to get these games to the table, but they are celebrating that like complexity and that that mental crunch instead of saying like we got to tone it down. People are going to think this is too complex. They're kind of like, yeah, it is complex, and that's the amazing part of it. Yeah, I think sometimes when I was trying to decide what my next move was, I'm sure, and you have a lot of patience for this. I don't think a lot of people do, <laughs> but it would take me like ten minutes. I'd be like, I can do these five things. Which one do I do? 
Yeah. And then you're always like, just do the simplest one first. You have to move these characters. They're going to move no matter what. Mm-hmm. I was. And we barely scratched the surface on that, too, because how many factions have you played? I think I only played two. Yeah, two, because I think we did the two out of three where we played the same factions. And then when I when I came back from uh, that trip, we played uh, different ones from okay. scratch. So maybe we have. So have you seen all four then? I think so. Okay. So you've seen all the four in the base box. There are some from expansions. There, and, and there's a lot like of that. similarities between all of them. I think it sort of felt like it just sort of one give you more of that elixir or whatever they call it in the game. The the magical. Yeah. The, the, the magical currency. The Yeah. That basically like powers everything. And then even, even the upgrades, they're sort of like they're all in the same way. Just so I think there's like a great balance to each of the, the character classes you could be. Mm-hmm. It actually goes back to that civilization a little bit where they all have like some sort of version that's going to add defensive abilities. And that one's always going to do something like that. But the way it does it is different. Or this one's going to upgrade units, but it's going to do it in a totally different way. Cloudspire was probably our most recent. Oh, no, Scythe was. But probably, oh, no, wait. <laughs> Actually, we played a lot of games since Cloudspire. Yeah, so it's funny that we end with Pax Premier and Cloudspire because when you first came, we were looking for like, simpler games to take off the shelf not like simple because you've played a lot of games and you are a video game expert i will call you an expert wow well i heard you were on the top of the clash of battle royale clans (laughs) of caledonia style close enough whatever that mobile game is but you are you're really good at figuring out systems in video games i think that's accurate yeah yeah and so i knew you were you know you have the personality that you're willing to grind your i mean you're willing to grind your head against stuff <laughs> in video games so i was like he will end in life end in life yeah so i was like this will be right up ryan's alley so by the time that you left pretty much any game on the shelf i could take off and teach you and it would be a great experience so yeah it has been like quite a quite a journey as they say but uh from like simple things to like becoming more progressively complex over the past year and and kind of like what we were saying early on about i think kind of just building this as like a hobby and sort of in my mind, like you start to be able to categorize certain types of games into like buckets or like, Oh, this game kind of plays like this, or this one plays like this, or there's, there's similar elements across all of them. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. like, like we were talking about design systems and how they apply to these different like gaming mechanics. There's a ton of different ones, but then after a while you start to recognize them and the patterns and how they work and how they work across all the different types of games. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where the interest in the complexity of the games comes from because you start to, understand the game a lot quicker and so you feel like oh i get this and then and maybe maybe it's because i've I've been spoiled in the past year because you have all these this entire library of games that you could open a store in that it kind of (laughs) feels like oh well let's just get through this one and get to the next one yeah well i mean that's a good attitude to have though is like let's play it and let's enjoy it and let's do it three times and then let's get to the next one instead of being like i didn't like that one so i'm i don't want to play any other ones either i am kind of curious so we've played two out of three for maybe what 60 games 70 like that, probably what i was curious what the do you know what the ratio is of wins to losses between the two of us i no i don't i mean i could maybe <laughs> look and figure out i have an app that might let me do that but i don't know i would assume i feel like it's pretty close it probably is pretty close which is says a lot for you because i am always the person who understands the game the most when we start playing and we do we do track that first game that counts as one of the three yeah. And we do play three instead of just doing, usually we do three instead of just doing two. If I like win the second one, we're not just like, 
Okay, that was two. We we do a third just to make it even. Yeah. Which, I think there's only been a couple games we only played two, I think. I mean, I think early on it wasn't like as a uh, as a, a law of the land where we have to That's play three. True, so yeah. it kind of became that way after I think it started, point. we started playing Watergate. It might like, have been from Watergate. For some reason, I think I, I won a lot in Watergate. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, we should make a rule that's like two out of three. Yeah. Because you didn't want to play it. Yeah, I didn't a bunch more it. time. You're, yeah, you're like, I, I like, like it. It's fun. It's, but it's, like, there's yeah. a lot of games here and I'd rather see new stuff. Yeah. I will miss that from my gaming life, Ryan. It's going to be tough, but maybe we'll find a way to do it online. Yeah, I'll miss it too. Uh, I'm hoping that I, I feel like what we tried Res Arcana mm-hmm. online. And there's, there's sort of like, uh, there's something nice about being, about more being in person, being able to look at the whole board and like yeah. having those interactions. Uh, where, where like the online versions for me, I think felt a little more distant or like a little bit harder to like get into. I agree. I find them harder to read the information, even though they present the information in an easier to read format. But I like seeing the tactile landscape of a board and I feel like I get a better sense of what's happening by looking at a board compared to online. And I play a lot of games online, but it's still, I would take the real deal nine times out of 10, maybe 10 times out of 10. Yeah, no, I would agree. And, and it's been great uh, potting with you and Casey through this pandemic. And it's been a lot of fun learning all these things about these games. Yeah, I thought you were going to say potting like right now. And I was like, oh, wow, you're weighing in and how fun this experience was already. <laughs> but yes, potting. So it was a, it was a, it was a special and probably once in a lifetime experience. It probably is never going to be. It's hopefully. kind of like college. In some where, ways, hopefully. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah, in some ways, hopefully. It's kind of like college, though, where you're in this like special situation where you like live with your peers who are all roughly the same age, who are, have similar interests. Yeah, and it doesn't really happen many times in life. So it kind of was like a second little uh, little burst of, it kind of takes me back to school a little bit. It did. I suppose it, it doesn't hurt that we went to college together too yeah so there's probably a lot of nostalgia <laughs> to that too uh yeah so that was our chat with ryan well it's been fun thanks for having me on the show i'm a big fan been there since day one can't wait. how many of you listened to <laughs> at least one all the way through uh, most of it yeah okay. no because i was very curious one time i was like what did they talk about for an hour well we're right at an hour now so now you know Cool. Mostly I was uh, tuning in for the songs. That was one of my favorite parts. The songs are a good part. I don't know what we're going to do for this song, but <laughs> I'm sure Casey will help us out. Um, we have one last evening together, and it's 7 o'clock. Are we going to play a game? I think we might as well. Well, what game? If you could choose any game, new, unplayed, that you've never played before or that we've played in the past, what would you choose right now if you had to pick one? Well, time, that- is, time is no object. That is a hard decision to make because I have a lot of interest in one still that we haven't played, but then I'm still fresh on the civilization too. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't, uh, let me think. I don't know. If, let me think about it for a second. I don't know if I'm going to have an answer for this podcast. Well, maybe on the next podcast I do, I will let everyone know what we decided. There's too many to choose from. That is a gift and a curse. There is so many to choose from. There's like, I kind of want to like relive some of the hits, but I also kind of want to try something new i guess i don't have an answer i'm sorry okay well we'll figure it out and figure it out we did unexpectedly we played clans of caledonia which is an absolute gem of a game and we had a good time and it's playable on board game arena so uh now we're set up for one more game that we can play together from afar
Well, thanks for joining us this week. I just had to bring on Ryan. He's been such a part of Casey and my gaming experience over the past year that we felt like he just had to come on the show and at least make one appearance as the official third Shuffle Buddy. You can find us all over the web, but the best place to start is our website, which is shufflebuddies.com. From there, you can find links to pretty much anything and everything we do. You can find us on Instagram at shuffle underscore buddies underscore pod. You can find us on Twitter at shuffle underscore buddies. You can find us on Board Game Geek, of course, at guild number 3836. You can find Shuffle Buddies wherever fine podcasts are distributed and wherever you listen. If you feel like giving us a review, we would love it, even if it is negative. I feel like I regret saying that already, but it's true. And that's all for today. Next time, Casey will be back. So until then, I will shuffle away all by my lonesome. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. You want to play Brass? Where is that one? It's uh, the white one right there by Pax Viking. It's a train game. Didn't we play this one? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Did we? This is good radio. <laughs> I'm assuming you're just going to cut all this. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I screwed that one up too. <laughs> <laughs>